Hi, I'm Eden. I'm Sam. And I'm Taylor. And this is Ruby the Podcast. We are a community of young Gen Z women seeking answers to the hard questions and discovering what it means to cultivate our purpose. We believe you are here to live an extraordinary life filled with wonder and driven by intention. So join us as we interview powerful women just a few steps ahead to share their wisdom required for living an authentic and daring life. You'll be hearing from world-changing entrepreneurs, bold creatives, and industry experts. All to serve you up the highest inspiration and practical steps to embodying the fullest version of yourself. So take a breath, settle in, and get ready to discover who you're made to be. We are so grateful you're here. Hey, hey, welcome to Ruby the Podcast. Thank you for showing up today exactly as you are and for longing to be a part of this community and these conversations that we're having. We are so, so grateful. If this is your very first Ruby the Podcast episode, hello and welcome. We would love to get to meet you. So go check out our website, theruby.community and our Instagram at underscore therubyco. Shoot us a DM or an email because we would love to be friends. Today's episode is slightly different than the way we have done episodes in the past. We talk about interviewing powerful women, and that has totally been the case, but we are changing things up a little bit this week, and we are going to be interviewing Drew Smith, aka Uncle Drew, for a two-part episode where he's going to be talking about his PhD in depth psychology, writing his dissertation, and other college tips, as well as sacred masculinity, which is this incredible idea and it is going to be the most amazing conversation so we are so so glad you guys are here to experience it with us and we'll see you on the other side today we're here with my uncle dr drew smith you can say hi Hello. <laughs> um, and we're super excited today to talk all about boys for the very first time. And Uncle Drew's our very first guy on the podcast. So that's woohoo! quite yeah. an honor. <laughs> it is. It's a huge honor. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were debating on if it would be good. And Uncle Drew convinced me just because it's going to be like a perfect perspective. Um, and as women, I feel like it's we don't get to have those intentional conversations with boys very often. So here we are, and it's going to be really good. And to kick it off, Uncle Drew, if you could just talk a little bit about what you do and your doctorate and it kind of explain that for everyone. And it's it's a longer conversation than just those questions, but just to it, kick it off. Yeah, it is. All right, to kick it <laughs> off, let's see. So what I do and my degree actually seem to have nothing to do with each other. But so currently I am a director of online learning at a local uh, business college here in Michigan. Uh, that means that all of the online courses come through me and my department and we help make sure that they're sound, uh, that they're pedagogically sound. That means like everything works together so that you learn what you're supposed to learn, right? Make the courses engaging and all that kind of stuff. So when the pandemic hit, our business kind of took off 
because um, everything went online. As you guys know, you're doing online school. So it was really hard for us to watch some of the things you guys had to go through because mm -hmm. we're like, no, there's a better way to do it. So, uh, so that's what we do. Uh, that, that's what both me and uh, Eden, your aunt's house, right? My yep. wife, we, we both do that. Um, so yeah, we work in higher ed and then I just earned my doctorate in depth psychology, right? So a doctorate uh, is, uh, it's, a, it's a PhD. So PhD stands for a doctorate in philosophy right? And then a doctorate in philosophy is in a whole bunch of different fields. So mine, is, so I mean, you can have a, a PhD in English lit or, you know, in all over the place, right? There's a whole bunch of different things. Um, I have mine in depth psychology, which mm -hmm. is different than psychology. It's a different arena than psychology. So psychology uh, right now, typically tends to deal with people's behaviors. Um, they try to, you know, there's a lot of numbers involved. There's a lot of math involved, right? I'm not a huge numbers and math guy. Um, depth psychology is a little different perspective on the psyche, right? Psyche is psychology, right? And psyche is the soul. Uh, it's Latin for soul. So uh, depth psychology actually looks at the unconscious more uh, and what's going on in the unconscious, both um, for individuals and for the collective, right? So across mm -hmm. the cultures, across the continent, across the globe. So depth psychology is, um, it's fun. That's the fun area, I think. Uh, we talk about the difference between the conscious and the unconscious. Uh, we talk about patterns uh, that we see in life or archetypes, right? Those are things when you say, um, and that's I think kind of where this this topic comes in. We start talking about archetypal masculinity and archetypal femininity. And I know you've talked about this before on your, on your podcast. Um, so these archetypes and these complexes, the things that happen, like if we call it getting triggered, right? If someone says something that's um, triggering to you, the, the, the what happens there takes place within you and it's usually based on some traumatic experience that you've had in the past mm -hmm. it instantly you get rage or you get fear or you get this uncontrollable emotion just rushes up that's called a complex being activated or constellated right mm -hmm. well when these complexes happen you, we want to bring those complexes in from the unconscious because you don't know why they're happening into consciousness so you can begin mm -hmm. to absorb it you can begin to pull it apart pick it apart and then you become individuated you become you have a, a happier healthier life because you're understanding yourself so really it's the whole un, it's the whole process of understanding yourself understanding other people it's super right. exciting yeah no that oh. sounds so cool and i just heard this okay and i'm gonna throw it out there because you may know stuff about this bts right apparently bts I'm, i don't know i've never heard their music <laughs> apparently they're big they're big time and uh, -huh. uh bts just had an album come out called Map of the Soul, which is based on Carl Jung's work. This guy named Murray Stein, uh, Dr. Murray Stein, he wrote a book and they based their album, I guess, on this book, which is based on Carl's, Carl Jung's um, stuff. So, and Carl Jung is the, he's kind of him, Sigmund Freud, you've probably heard of, right? Yeah. Freud, mm -hmm. Jung, and this guy named Adler. Those three uh, doctors back there in the 1900s 
uh, you know, early 1900s. They're the ones that kind of created this movement of depth psychology. Uh, Jung and Freud used to be really tight and then they had a big fight and they split and it's been a war between the two uh, schools of thought ever since. It's very sordid. Mm. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> um, it's very, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. So you've, you've said this word before to me, but arch, archetype, right? That's how you say it? Can yes, you just archetype. explain what that means specifically for me and for everyone listening? That is an awesome question. Okay, so think about, so an archetype is a universal pattern, right? It's a universal pattern, something that uh, repeats over and over and over across cultural lines across time. It may look different or appear different, but the, the meaning is still the same. So the best way to think about this is in fairy tales, right? We'll think about fairy tales for a minute. In fairy tales, you have the heroic, what? There's um, a like Heroic character. <laughs> yes, but like in a fairy tale, think about a fairy tale. Oh, like like a prince? The yeah. prince, yes, yeah. is a heroic prince. There's an evil queen, witch, or queen, witch. witch steeps, <laughs> yes. stepmother, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. There's a beautiful maiden, a maiden, oh. a princess. Yes, exactly. Yes. Right, the, all these, you know that these characters exist, and I don't even have to tell you which story we're talking about. Right, those are archetypes. So they are repeating patterns, repeating um, motifs, images, stuff like that that happens uh, all over the place. Right. So we talk about um, a wicked stepmother. What are some characteristics of her? like cruel and mm -hmm. at least in Cinderella, like making her do chores or like things they don't want to do, keeping her from her prince. Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, so these are, these are actions that the archetypes embody, right? So, um, you know, usually uh, the, the, the prince is supposed to be brave and valiant and he, you know, goes on the hero's journey. You've heard about the hero's journey before, right? That's kind mm -hmm. of Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, they did a lot of stuff together with these archetypal expressions, okay? So the hero's journey, you go on a quest, um, you, you know, encounter the dragon, you slay the dragon, and you bring the treasure back to the kingdom. That is, that is a standard motif in almost every culture across the world, right? Mm -hmm. A hero is an archetype. It, it is, it's not one person individually, but it's it, it, it is the model that everything fits into. Does that make sense? Yeah. A little mm -hmm. bit? Yeah. That's... So John Wick, right? John Wick, hero's journey. Because he goes, mm -hmm. he battles all the bad guys, comes back with the treasure, his dog, right? <laughs> or whatever it is. So they play out into, so an archetype would be the princess herself. And then that, like everything that goes with that can be seen in other areas. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think movies and TV are a really great expression of these archetypal patterns because you have, I mean, you, I read somewhere there are only nine stories in the whole world, wow. the original stories, because, and because the, all of them follow the same archetypal pattern, right? So no matter what characters you put in, what situations you put in, what obstacles you put in, the story itself you do this, you do this, you do that. Think Hallmark movie, right? It's mm -hmm. all the same. It's all the same. The characters are different. The place and the setting is different. The um, the the obstacles are different, but it's all exactly the same. So mm -hmm. that's 
archetypal pattern. It's not just things either. So you can have the archetypal pattern of love, right? We all talk about love and it's hard to put into words, but yeah, we all know it when we feel it, right? That's the thing with archetypes. You know it when you feel it. It's mm -hmm. not when you see it, but when you feel it. Oh. Right? Because, uh -huh. so let me, let me take it a little bit more. So there's a difference between a symbol and a sign, right? There, so uh, um, a sign is something like, uh, how do I put it? Let's see. So you think about a sign as a, uh, it, it's pretty, uh, it's a literal um, expression of something, like a stop sign. It means stop. It only means one thing, right? But a symbol draws you into something a little bit deeper. It takes you deeper. It takes you to another place. Um, so uh, a symbol of a spider for you know this idea of a spider, Sam. For you, a spider may take you into this world of fear and darkness, and it, it represents something, right? But for mm -hmm. it may take you into this world of creativity and um, beauty, and you know, animal kingdom, and like all the bugs, and how amazing it is that you know there are bugs everywhere. Like so, it is a symbol. It's a representation of something specific for you. Mm -hmm. There also, um, but that. But again, we have, uh, we think about spiders like Charlotte's Web, Charlotte's Web, right? Spiders can represent this whole idea of representation. They are symbols of different things. Um, mm -hmm. But then you've got the archetypal spider, which is the big hairy thing that comes and kills you in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, the, it's a, such a fun field. It's very, you can have so much fun there. You can explore, uh, it, it dives into you know, world religions and the stories that are there really is heavy in stories and fairy tales and how these things interact with us now um, and how it's interacted with cultures throughout the years. Fairy tales, you know, they're very uh, dark, right? The real ones, like brothers, mm -hmm. they're very dark, right? But these fairy tales have these archetypes and these archetypal experiences within them. So people would share these stories because they help process you through whatever experience you're going through. Right? Right, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does that help answer the question? Yes. That is, okay. Yeah. It's not something you just, it's not just one answer, right? It's multiple no. layered and you go deeper and deeper and it's really fun. Yeah, that is so, so cool. depth, depth psychology. Depth psychology. We're not, we're not going out, we're going deeper. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is cool. <laughs> So your dissertation, I don't know if you mentioned that, but just really quick for our, our pre-college listeners, what exactly yeah. is a dissertation? Uh, such a good question. Okay, so you may have heard of a thesis, a master's thesis, or a dissertation. Those are two different things that kind of, um, that kind of parallel each other. So a master's thesis comes at the end of your master's program, right? So you go graduate high school, you get your associates after like two-ish years, then you get your bachelor's, right? You earn your um, your bachelor in science, bachelor of arts or whatever it is, um, bachelor's of business, whatever. Uh, from there, you go to master's. Master's degree is an additional, uh, usually two years-ish. And um, you can get master's in business, master's in a lot of things, master of science, master of arts, same thing. The thesis is kind of like the capstone of your program. And it is supposed to, um, encapsulate, you know, the, the major amount of knowledge you've acquired, right? So it's knowledge you've, you've uh, gathered throughout your program. 
about a certain topic. So you're specifically looking at um, what you're, you're looking at a lot of different um, uh, topics, a lot of different uh, research that's already been done. So you've, you've, you dove into the field of whatever it is, fill in the blank. A dissertation, there's also more coursework that goes along with it, right? So, and a lot of that is, is research development and, um, you know, just diving deeper into your topic. It, it's pretty, it becomes more and more self-directed until you get to the dissertation phase or ABD, they call it all but dissertation. So you're done with your coursework. You just have the dissertation left to do. The dissertation is the culmination, not only of the knowledge you've acquired, but then it's your stamp of the, it's your entrance into the world of creating new knowledge. So mm -hmm. everyone who's written a dissertation has created brand new knowledge, stuff that no one has thought about before, right? Stuff that no one has proven before, stuff that no one has uh, explored before, whatever the topic is. So for a, a PhD is the expert in their field, but their field is super tiny. I mean, like really skinny. That's the only way you get it done because knowledge is massive, right? So to try and find something that hasn't been thought of before and then to think of it and then explore it and then write about it using all the other knowledge you have, you're like, you are the expert in a tiny sliver of knowledge, but you're contributing to the larger body of work. That's what a dissertation is. It is called a terminal degree. Terminal meaning it's the highest you can get. So you, you may hear those terms uh, thrown around as well. So that's, I've never heard that stuff before because I was talking to Uncle Drew before the podcast and I was like, yeah. so what exactly are you a doctor of? So I get it right on the podcast and he's like, um, actually, PhD and doctor are the same thing. And it's like this whole wide answer. And I, I've i never like counselors don't really tell us that stuff. I feel like we're just assumed to know. And I know, Uncle Drew, you were saying it was similar when you were in high school. That it was absolutely the same. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I mean, I didn't even, I, I was, I was an only child. I didn't have, I, I didn't have anyone to draw knowledge from, you know, um, going into college for me, I didn't know what a credit hour was. I didn't understand how a program worked. I didn't know what my um, general courses were. I didn't understand any of it. And no one really explained it to me either. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, I mean, that's, that could be a podcast in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. He's just exploring that. Um, but uh, there are more people who are more qualified to talk about it than just me. But I will say, um, so this idea of a credit hour, right? That's an amount of time that, you're, that you spend with your instructor and are in the process of learning. So what they say then is a three credit hour in, I think it's the same for, I don't know if it's the same for high school, but in college, um, uh, one credit hour is equal to 15 total hours of time with an instructor, right? So there's some math involved here. So for a three credit hour course, you will technically be learning from your instructor for 45 hours okay. throughout the semester, right? So that's, and then that's how they break it up throughout the semester. You've got your, you know, your fall semester and your spring semester, or maybe you've got a fall, winter, spring, and a summer, however they divvy it up. Um, so yeah, that's why there's a certain amount of time that you have to show up for class um, because that's the law. That's how they've set it up to make mm -hmm. sure people are getting the education that, we, that they need. Mm -hmm. And that got really weird start and end times to your school, <laughs> to class. Yes. Really weird because it all works out mathematically to, to account for this amount of time that you spend with your instructor. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm trying to process. Okay. Um, what Cause I think I've heard people say they go to class on like Thursday night, you know, or mm-hmm. just like a weird, just mm-hmm. a, not what you would expect, but it's good to right. hear someone actually say it <laughs> out loud. Yeah. So you can, you can have a, uh, depending on how your college or institution is set up, there are some colleges that have only day classes, right? Um, the college that I work at, they are night classes because they're for working professionals. So people go to work a day during the day and then they go to school at night right? or go to class at night. And to cram everything in as much time as possible, they have, um, you know, the, the, a lot of the courses now they'll meet for, well, pre-COVID, they would meet for two hours on ground uh, to cover that two hours of, of interaction with the instructor. And then they would do online work for two hours. So that that would then uh, cover the other two hours of active learning. It's this idea of, you know, you're, you're engaging with the material, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of regulations about what that material can look like and making sure you're not just on a self-paced course or whatever. If you are, it's got to be recorded that way. There's a whole bunch of legal crap you got to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. So you went to college, studied psychology, and masculinity, like you focused on that within it, or how did that come in? That's a really great question. So, you know, I, uh, I have my bachelor's is in psychology, right? My uh, master's is in depth psychology, and it's a special branch of depth psychology that we call uh, Jungian and archetypal studies. So we're talking about archetypes, Mm -hmm. Carl Jung and archetypes. So an archetypal psychology is another branch of that depth psychology as well, dealing with James Hillman and this whole other movement that happened later. And he's really fun. Anyway, uh, so um, yes, so I got my master's in depth psychology and then moved on into my PhD work in depth psychology as well with specializing in Jungian and archetypal studies. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it gets like, you were talking about it being just like this little skinny thing. So like, I feel like each level yeah. of college is also getting more and more narrow. Yep. Yeah, you're refining your knowledge. Right. So no no one knows everything about every everything, right? <laughs> but we all know a little bit. You can all probably find a little bit of something about everything, right? A little mm-hmm. sliver of knowledge. Except in for, for doctors, it's the one area where they are the expert in. They've taken all the other research that's out there, brought it together, and then built their own case or their own theory or their own whatever. Uh, and then they present it to people. So right. mine was on, uh, the title is Re-Imaging Masculinity. So it's this idea of what masculinity looks like or could look like for men, an archetypal approach to masculinity in today's era, right? Because we've, um, so if, I'll, let me roll right into this because I think mm-hmm. uh, yeah. going into this question of how did I, what did I do with this? Um, so I started, you know, I grew up in the 90s. Um, there were, there were a lot of changes going on in the 80s and 90s um, in who you were, uh, what masculinity was. I mean, you know, growing up in high school, you know, 80s, 90s, there's a big shift happening. In the 70s and the 60s, there was this second wave of feminism, right? You may have heard about this. So first wave of feminism was when, you know, women's, women's suffrage movement where they earned the right to vote and had a voice, right? Like 
so stupid that we even had to do this, but here we are. So women, you know, earn the right to vote. Then you go to the 60s and 70s, and there was this big push with women for, uh, you know, better pay, um, looking at, uh, you, you know, they, they, women weren't supposed to be, you know, in the kitchen all the time cooking, like they could have, mm -hmm. they could not only have the right to vote, but they have their opinion matters, right? There are all these things um, that we were fighting for, for equality. You watch movies from the 70s or 80s, like there's a movie called Nine to Five with Dolly, <clears throat> with Dolly Parton. Okay. I've never seen it, but. Yeah. It, well, it's, I think it's on Hulu or something right now, um, <laughs> maybe. Um, but it, if you ever watch it, you, you'll start to see exactly why the, the, the push in the 70s and 80s for women to have this equality was coming up. It was about this boss who was really um, misogynistic, right? Or really uh, anti-woman or anti-feminine. Um, he was all about his power and authority. And I mean, again, archetypal corporate mm -hmm. boss from the 80s, right? Archetypal corporate boss from the 80s, it brings up this image of someone who's hard and it's all about the numbers and he cares only about the bottom line and, you know, people can die and it doesn't bother him. And, you know, it's not about raising people up or bettering people or anything like that. So the movie Nine to Five is a great example of where, uh, why feminism in the 60s and 70s had to do what they were doing. A lot of protests, a lot of um, just embracing womanhood, right? Mm -hmm. Then you move into the 90s, that's the third wave, approximately the third wave of feminism. And this is when um, women were having body, uh, starting to look at body positivity. They were looking at, you know, uh, the, the, the idea of um, women owning their own sexuality, right? And being able to be who they wanted to be. And um, it, it, it was, uh, again, more of a push for uh, greater equality. Um, and yet still women were saying, you know, I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with men. Yeah, that was the big push for, um, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're all equal. Um, now we're kind of in a fourth wave of feminism that's really using social media quite a bit. And social media plays a huge role in where we are today. I mean, you guys already mm -hmm. know, right? And how we view people and how we view each other and experiences and these archetypal images, it's still all coming together. Mm -hmm. So in this Me Too movement, right? It's no longer acceptable for men to be how they were back in the 80s, where they would make comments about, you know, women walking down the street, right? Or doing catcalls or any of that kind of stuff. Not acceptable. It's not okay. You can't do it anymore, right? You can't make uh, sexual jokes, especially in the workplace. Mm -hmm. You have to be, you know, there's this idea of, you know, um, sexual consent, right? And there's all the, the things that are wrapping up around just women's sexuality and mm -hmm. how men engage with that. Um, there's also a darker side to that where you, women now, um, are, you know, believe all women, right? We, which, yes, we need to believe all women, but there's also the, the shadowy side, uh, the, the archetypal shadow of, um, of pockets of women who are using that against men. They're using it to, to hurt men. They're using it to get back for all of this years and years and years of repression and oppression. Um, so, you know, they're, they're uh, on college campuses, there are girls who are, um, you know, filing claims of assault when actually nothing happened, right? But they're doing it mm -hmm. to get back at someone. So there's a shadowy side to, to both, you know, the masculine side of things and the feminine side of things, or feminist side of things. Um, so it's there. I, what, through this process, 
women have evolved. Women have changed the, the way that we view femininity and womanhood and what it means to be a woman today, especially, you know, younger women like you, you have a plethora of really amazing um, examples uh, for you to follow, right? And it's all, you know, girl power and really great. Men have kind of been lost in that process because we've been focusing as we should, we should be focusing on women and helping them and bettering them and, and bringing equity, right? So we're mm. all brought up to the same level, right? Um, I looked at, at that whole process, women had been advancing, but men were kind of back. I mean, there are still guys who are back living in the 60s, 70s and 80s <laughs> in the idea of that masculinity, right? Masculinity is a hot rod, and you drink beer on the weekends and, you know, you're a party animal and uh, you, you know, you're the typical football jock and you know what I mean? Like there's that idea or that masculinity is the loner cowboy, you know, who's out like the Marlboro man, right? Super tough. You never cry, never show emotion, you know, mm -hmm. the Chuck Norris memes, right? That, you know, it, you know, um, I can't even think of any right now, but you know, just this hyper masculinity, right? And we've turned this into what, what we would consider a toxic masculinity because it's toxic, not because the guys are bad, but because their idea of masculinity has really hurt a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. so we know this, we know that these are here. Back in the nineties, there was a big push for men to change, to shift because of all of these changing things, right? Um, there were some different movements, men's movements that happened. Um, one is the liberation movement, um, which was all about, uh, you know, letting people just be free, letting men be free. There, um, the, the one that I really focused on, well, there were two that I, that I was kind of involved in. One was the, uh, the Christian men's movement of promise keepers. So Eden, you, uh, your dad and I, and a bunch of other guys, we went to DC for this promise keepers rally, right? And it was all about being a better uh, father, being a better parent, being a better husband, and being the head of the house, mm -hmm. right? And for a lot of, uh, for within a biblical context, that's how it's expressed, right? Men are supposed to be the head of the house. The shadow side of that is that men were the head of the house and no one else had a voice, right? right? So there was a darker mm -hmm. aspect. Um, the other men's movement, one of the other ones, uh, you know, another one was a very academic approach to, to men and masculinity. Um, and then the one that I kind of fell into was the mythopoetic men's movement, which really was this whole depth movement where you started to explore archetypes of masculinity and the stories of masculinity and the stories that were teaching each other about masculinity. Um, a big, a big push was, uh, or, or a big, um, book was called Iron John, right? By this guy named Bly. Uh, this would like really pushed forth the um, mythopoetic men's movement to look at, uh, you may have heard there's a book called King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, okay? So these are all four aspects of a masculine archetype. Right. So it was the idea that you look at the, and by masculine, I don't mean only men. I mean, you know, you, you've already talked about masculine energy and feminine energy, right? So we're dealing in energies here. We're not dealing with people, right? Mm -hmm. So the, um, the, King, warrior, magician, lover are these archetypal expressions of masculinity that have traveled throughout time. Um, the problem with the movement in the 1960s or in the 1990s was that it focused specifically on uh, men and it kind of left women aside. 
and it was very much um, white, middle-class, heterosexual men. Mm -hmm. right? There were a large group of men that were left out of that population. Um, so that was one of the, the, the downfalls during that movement. And after, after the 90s, everything just kind of fell off the face of the, of the earth for men. Now in the 2000s and 2020s, uh, you know, the 10s and the 20s, we're looking at women, Me Too movement, the, the Time's Up movement, all these things where women need to have a voice. Men still don't know who they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Don't have any really solid, you know, I look at um, the movies about guys that are out there, right? Um, the Wolf of Wall Street came out many years ago, right? And it was very archetypal, uh, masculine. It was, you know, aggressive and rough. I mean, you look at politically where we were with our president and he was very aggressive and rough and dominant and all of these traits that a lot of women and men don't want, they don't like, and we as a society have outgrown it, right? So my work then looked at that whole movement that happened from you know, the 60s to now, how it helped feminists uh, or how feminists have helped men or helped women evolve and change, but men didn't really have anywhere to go. Hmm. So we looked at, um, I looked at a, a, an archetypal expression of masculinity called the sacred masculine. Okay. So the sacred masculine is, it still embodies a lot of these masculine energies, love, protection, protection, strength, um, uh, support, um, you know, uh, but it does so in a way that honors the feminine. Uh, it embraces the feminine with it. Instead of, instead of working against the feminine, it works with the feminine, right? So we look at ideas of, um, we look at archetypes like the blue man or the green man. You may have heard of the green man. He's uh, this image that shows up in churches all across uh, Europe. It's a, it's a face with like leaves coming out of the face, right? You, you may have seen, um, uh, you know, I, anytime you see a tree with a face on it, that's a representation of the green man. So green man is, uh, cares about the world, cares about ecology, cares, fights for um, the, fights for nature, right? Mm -hmm. These are typically, you would consider nature a feminine quality, a feminine energy. The green man steps into that and says, no, 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 this is a masculine energy around that feminine energy. We're working in partnership, right? So anyway, this mm -hmm. of sacred masculinity embraces all of those other masculine energies, but expresses them in a much more um, holistic, a much more feminine honoring way. Um, so it, we could consider it instead of, you know, you think about masculine energy as the brute strength of a bodybuilder, the sacred masculine energy is the um, is the the supple strength of a dancer mm -hmm. super mm -hmm. strong but filled with grace right? Right, right two aspects of masculinity right and both very valid and ones that you can step into easily but expressions are are very different mm -hmm. so i looked at how the sacred masculine is starting to show up all around so there was an author who had here and here's where i put my stamp into knowledge right there was mm -hmm. a who said, here's the sacred masculine and the, the qualities that the sacred masculine archetype in, is embodied with, you know, um, it's caring for others, it's caring about uh, spirituality, recognizing the connection between heaven and earth and all these things. Um, I got to say, uh, 
yes, I agree that the sacred masculine is an archetype, that it's here, and that it's starting to manifest in our culture. And then I looked at other, I looked at things within our culture where people were celebrating those expressions of masculinity. Does that make sense? Yeah. I hope it does. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so. I, did I lose you? Because no. It's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. But... So it's this idea of um, almost like these two movements coming together in a way because mm-hmm. they've always been so separate. Right. But co- coming around and being like the protective layer and support. I, I That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that there are, there are ideas and because I know your families, I can say this, like both of your fathers are an excellent example of this sacred masculine energy because they are loving and tender, but yet fully embrace their masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they, they will fight to the death for you just as soon as, you know, they would dress up and wear tutus for you. <laughs> right? Like this is the type of masculinity that we're starting to see come out in, uh, especially in a lot of fathers, you know, there's been a push for fathers to really be, uh, to embrace their, especially their daughters, you know, being a girl dad is a huge honor, right? It's this really cool thing. 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't like that. It it wasn't Mm -hmm. celebrated, I should say. Mm -hmm. We're seeing changes all over the place and it's beautiful. And you guys are getting great examples of what it means to have powerful yet loving and kind men in your lives mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so you say it um from a perspective of a dad and but it's hard because i think people in our grade at school it might be a like how would they get access to these ideas that's awesome because yeah not everybody's dad is like this right mm-hmm. you've you've got some really amazing parents both of you um, and, and, but there are many kids who don't, they've got, they may have, you know, a single, it's a single parent. So they're missing out on, uh, of an aspect maybe of that energy or the, the examples of the parents that they have at home are r- really regressive. They're ones that are, you know, the, the typical masculine in the sixties, seventies and eighties, right. Power hungry or really abusive, um, you, because they need to be the head of the house, right. Um, the way to find it this is kind of what I looked for in my own research is, you know, the, um, I, I looked at the movie Black Panther, okay, mm-hmm. and I, Chadwick Boseman playing, God rest his soul, him playing Black Panther and the way he played Black Panther, it was this incredible expression of um, tender masculinity, right, because mm-hmm. he fought for his country, he fought for the women, but he honored them. There was this huge honoring with women in that, especially in that community as well. Um, he was noble. He was pure of heart. He, you know, he was flawed, of course, but he looked at the greater good. Like there was, he was selfless. It was, he was a beautiful representation of this sacred masculine energy. Um, uh, let's see, there, uh, there, there is a song. The, I also wrote about a song uh, that we had sung uh, before. It's called Reckless Love by this guy named Corey Asbury, right? Yeah. Beautiful song. It's about the, we, when we think about God, right? We look at God and a lot of people see a very judging father, right? It's a, you know, waiting for you to screw up. 
uh, waiting to send you to hell or to punish you for whatever things you do wrong. The song Reckless Love is not about that at all. It takes a very different approach to God as a father figure or as, as that masculine figure. He's very protective. He runs to you. He fights for you, kicks down doors for you, right? Flattens flattens mountains for you. This this kind of love of a father trying to reach your child. Um, so it this idea of, of, of sacred masculinity is out there. Like that's what I got to prove, right? I get to be the expert in that little sliver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, we now we just have to look for it. And then when we find it, we blow it up and we say, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. This is this is what a man, here is a great, here's a great model for a man to learn how to be a man now. Mm. Look at, I mean, you look at some of the, you know, not, and I'm not saying all Marvel heroes are <laughs> great at this, <laughs> but in particular, I think Black Panther was a really beautiful representation of what true masculinity in this new new form could be yeah yeah that's yeah it's beautiful i just i'm thinking of a world where it's everyone's just free it it just i think it would just be yeah we're working towards it yeah um so talking about kind of going back to like modern day how as women can we help to bring that out in in our peers or I mean, if obviously we can't choose our fathers, but like, mm-hmm. how do we kind of bring this conversation up without it seeming like another thing someone's going to make fun of, you know? Mm. So such a good question. Um, I think by calling it out in a positive way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have done, society has done a really great job of calling out the negative, Right? We do a really great job calling out the negative. And we do a really great job of cancel culture. And, you know, especially in this era where, it, you know, if you say something on social media that's even slightly controversial, there are people ready to kill you. Right? And like death threats, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. they're not, I don't know. But like that's such a, that alone is a toxic place to, to live, Right. And no matter who you are, no matter what expression of what feminine or masculine energies are, you're bringing out, I think the way to move the needle even further is to um, really is to really think, put yourself in the other's shoes. Okay, so this idea of other, um, this is something that uh, I am personally am really trying to work through and work on. Um, the other is anyone that you see as outside of yourself, right? And so there are times where you are, you and your bestie, you're together and you are united and there is this connection and this bond between you. And then, you know, you have an argument or something goes wrong or you grow apart and suddenly they are other than you, right? They are someone else. You see them as different, as apart, as separated somehow, right? We've all experienced this. It's an archetypal it's an archetypal feeling. <laughs> this idea of the other, I think, is where we've created a lot of damage for both femininity and masculinity because we have concretized it. Um, and by concretized that, I mean, we've made it, um, we've literalized it. It's become literal and not the expression literal because that's 
<laughs> I literally am dying. Well, <laughs> technically we're all literally dying slowly, right? Uh -huh. Or I'm literally starving to death. You're not literally doing that. I literally would kill for coffee. No, you would not. <laughs> yeah. So literally though, we literalize something. We create this othering between us and this person, whether that's based on sex, it's based on gender, it's based like gender expression, it's based on hair color, it's based on skin color, it's based on um, whether they're a cheerleader or a football player or in the math club or uh, in the theater, right? I mean, we create all of these little pockets where you have mm -hmm. to try to fit into a little box in order to be accepted by someone. Mm -hmm. We do that because we other them. We say, well, you know, you're not part of our clique. So you're out, you're on the outside. I'm on the in, you're on the out. If we get rid of that line, I think you are going to see things shift and change within your, uh, whatever your community is, but it's got to extend beyond just your community, right? That's the idea of getting rid of the idea of the other. What would happen if, um, what would happen if we suddenly stopped seeing someone as someone else and started seeing them as an extension of ourselves. Mm. Oh. Then suddenly the person who is in front of you in the car and who isn't going when the light is green and I start cussing him, cussing him <laughs> out. I'm like, you, the light's green, let's go. What actually said, no, 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 they're a part of me. What is it in my life that, you know, is stuck at a green light for a minute? And then I can empathize with those people. You look at people who are walking through the hallways, well, uh, or on your different Zoom chats or whatever <laughs> you're doing now, right? Um, thanks, pandemic. Uh, what would happen if you no longer saw them as the the weird, um, you know, the weird theater emo kid, but mm -hmm. saw them as an example of another part of yourself? How would you treat them, right? How would you interact with them? How would you reach out to them? How would you say, "Hey, how you doing today?" What, why wouldn't you say, hey, how are you doing today? If you saw them as a part of you, mm. right? So this idea of removing the other, um, I think is world changing. Yeah. Because then, then suddenly you care about not only the environment, but the animals, you care about what other people care about. Then we no longer have people who are fighting over, you know, we, we would have, um, you know, I mean, all of the, all the splitting that is going on, the left versus the right, the, you know, um, the, the gay versus the straight, the whatever whatever split that we're trying to make in our culture, if we get rid of that split, that divide, who, boy, yeah. mm. looking at it, right, masculinity versus femininity. Mm. Why is it versus? Why are we always saying things that need right? If they're not, we're all working together. We're all humans. Like that's the unifying factor. That's the archetypal factor that holds us all together. We are all human beings. So I think through what, what girls can do is stop seeing boys as the other, stop seeing other girls as the other, things will shift in our perspective and how we treat people. And then those expressions of masculinity and femininity, both in boys and girls can begin to come and whatever you identify as, it can begin to come out a little bit more. Mm, that is... Uh... I, it, you just need kind of a second to, I think, just take your time. It. Yeah. But that's the no, it, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful world when we get there. Right. And the truth is there is there are pockets of of young adults 
who are working towards that. I am more encouraged now than I've ever been that we are all in this boat of every, like it's a grassroots movement where people are saying, I'm done. I'm done trying to be something that I'm not, right? I'm, I'm done um, trying to fit into a specific box because someone wants me there. Um, not only are we done with that, but now we're gathering, um, we're, we're gathering others around us who are, who are like that as well. And no longer are they others, they're, they're your tribe. We're growing these tribes and pretty soon this tribe can be global, mm. um, especially with technology the way that it is. I mean, I'm, you guys are all the way on the other side of town. I can be talking to someone on the other side of the world right now. Mm -hmm. So we're instantly connected, but far away from each other physically. So good. When we were talking about this, like before we actually started recording, you were talking about just allowing boys the freedom to be authentically who they are. And I think bring the way you said the other is just so such a good way to think about it, because that is something that I, I see play out in my, in my own life, like being critical of others and in every all my friends and whatever but I think that's just a really it, it turns it into more of like a mission <laughs> you know to be more sympathetic and empathetic mm. I'm not really good at the difference between those two words yeah. <laughs> but um, so here, here let me help you so sympathy is to look at someone uh, you you drive by on uh, you see a wreck on the side of the road and you're like oh man that really sucks for them oh I feel sympathy for them empathy is like oh my God, I remember when I had my accident, I got to get out of the car and see if they're okay because no one came to mm. see me. It was really like, that hurt me when no one stopped on the side of the road to help me out, right? Mm -hmm. So the sympathy is, is that othering. Empathy, you remove the other. Now, mm. another, right? It's, it's a, you're together. There's a, there's a, a unity that's created. So yeah. sympathy, sympathy separates, empathy unites. Uh -huh. uh, even like having conversations with like boys or, or anything other genders or other age groups it's easy to think um oh I can't relate to that because I'm different and that's literally the example you were saying of the other it's like making space for mm. or not or the other breaking down the other making space for just unity and yes yes because it's not like we're feeling different I don't know, like we're not a different species. It's the same. Right. We're yeah. feeling the same archetypal emotions. We're all feeling the same archetypal emotions. Again, here we go back to archetypes, right? It's all the same, mm -hmm. but you just change the flavor or the color or the time period, or it, it like it's a Hallmark movie. Mm -hmm. We want to feel that warm, glowy, fuzzy Hallmark movie. We all, all want to feel loved. We all want to feel accepted. We all want to feel heard. We all want to feel valued. And this is male, female, boy, girl, gender spectrum, doesn't matter. Everybody is, is, everybody wants to feel loved and, and heard and respected and valued. And there are a lot, you know, if, um, it's so interesting that we're talking about, you know, how do girls draw this out in boys or how do they create space for boys to be like this? What if we all just created space for everybody? Mm -hmm. right? But even that, even there is a dividing line between how do girls help boys? Well, there are girls that need this help too. Yeah. Right. So why are, why are we even going to try and separate the two? 
it's just everybody. Like we're all humans. Mm-hmm. They all just want to feel that love. So, yeah. I mean, that, that said, you know, I look at there, the thing with high school is I'm, I remember being in high school a long time ago right? <laughs> and I, you know, even when we had talked before, I said, you know, I can't really relate to the things that are going on in high school because I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm removed from it, right? Um, I just, I see you guys and that's about as close as I get to the high school experience. However, as I'm thinking about it, this is, high school is always the same. <laughs> it's always been the same. Mm-hmm. It's the era that changes, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, thinking about what boys needed, I didn't know, at that time, I didn't know how to be a man or how to grow into a man. Let me say that. I didn't know how to be a boy. There were examples of guys that I did not feel comfortable with um, at, at all. There, like there were, like I was not an athletic kid. I was the creative arts kid, right? I was in band, choir, theater, lead in the musical. Um, but I was othered because of that. Oh. And that created a whole spectrum of self-doubt and questioning and mm-hmm. saying, you know, well, it, you know, if I don't, if I'm not out trying to get laid all the time, does that make me different? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently it does. Cause that's what I'm told. There's this little subtext going on between boys. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't just guys that were doing that. It, it was girls too. Um, there, but it was in, in a different way. Right. It, so yeah, it's, I'm sure it's all the same. It's just the, the era changes and, and the, the top 40 hit list changes. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So l- let me, let me say the same. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. I think, you know, part of the issue that we're still experiencing is that boys don't know how to, who to model themselves after. So they mm-hmm. model themselves after whatever's in front of them. And usually that is a group of other guys who are afraid to be who they are in the first place anyway, right? There, uh, there's a sociologist named Michael Kimmel who said something to the effect of the greatest secret is that men fear other men. Mm-hmm. There's an inherent fear uh, of being judged, about being othered, um, you know? And I, I mean, I feel that way even with your dads, you know, if, I, if I'm... And they're some of my best friends. If, if I start to think about it, I think, um, you know, oh, well, they judge me if I do this or I don't do this, or if I look a certain way, or if I don't look a certain way, you know, we were at the Super Bowl at your house watching the Super Bowl. What if I'm not paying attention? Are they going to think something different of me because I'm, I don't care who wins. And, you know, (laughs) there's Mm -hmm. all of the questions that girls have when they're with their peers, guys have it the same way, but guys don't know that they can start to ask themselves these questions they don't even know that they're having them they're happening way in the back of their head and it's just this kind of tickling that happens inside because you don't really sit still long enough and you don't you don't know how to process it and you don't have great girlfriends to sit and chat and explore it with and draw it out and work it through guys are they're kind of taught to be alone and kind of taught to lone wolf it and figure it out on your own this um, idea of just having really good guy friends that you can ask the hard questions of like, am I enough? Am I okay? Um, am I man enough? Mm-hmm. And without having the, the sarcastic answer come back at you to have a real friend to say, you are man enough, dude, you're awesome. I, I love everything about who you are as a guy. I, I want to be like you or something to that effect. That would have changed my life. I think yeah. if I had those honest, open relationships with other guys 
where I wasn't trying to prove something and they weren't expecting me to prove anything. We could just be together and learn together and grow together and then find these models where we're like, yeah, I want to be like Keanu Reeves in John Wick, who Mm -hmm. he fights tooth and nail for a puppy. That's beautiful, right? That's a beautiful image Mm -hmm. uh, for reckless love, that that idea of of a caring person, a loving father who will move hell or high water to save the person that he cares about. Mm. That masculinity. Yeah. What? Wow. Wow. That is allowing like emotions to raw emotions to kind of just, I kind of picture it just like enter the atmosphere and like arise from everyone. Not, not just men, but also women and and embracing the emotions. Um, Yeah. Creating space for that emotion. Yes. Creating space for, for, boys to feel their emotions and express them when you said um like they're also feeling the self-doubt that girls feel but like it's just I always wonder that (laughs) like I'm like oh what do they think at social settings are they also you know what I mean like it just feels like Uh such a different like the other and it's not because it's the exact same it's just the way they were taught Mm -hmm. it's so cool Boy, yeah. And there, you know, I mean, there are social rules that we follow, right? There are social rules. Guys can get angry. They can't get sad. If they get sad, they're, you know, they're usually taught, get over it, it you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when I watch teen boys go through breakups, I want them to embrace those emotions because there is gold in those emotions. You're feeling these feelings instead. Like I was taught, Socially, I was taught to take my emotions, my fear, my doubt, my shame, things that I was ashamed of, things that I was questioning, and shove it all down. Don't talk about it. Hide it. Cover it. Don't let people know you're different, right? And part of this is just high school, not necessarily being a boy, right? (laughs) Uh Like, shove it way deep down, pack it. And then 30 years later, I'm trying to unpack this and it's ugly and it hurts. And Mm. I wish I had had the opportunity to just experience it in the moment. Um, You know, when I'm angry to be angry, but to be angry in a healthy way, not a way that takes it out on other people, not a way that beats up someone else, shoving the, you know, the nerd into a locker. That's, that's regressive. You know, that's regressive. That's toxic. That's what we're trying to get away from, but to, to create that space for someone to be angry and for that emotion to be okay. Like, it's okay. It's okay to be sad. Like, it's okay to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think creating the space for boys to do that um, is really good. But I'm, I'm, less, I'm less convinced that girls have anything to do with it. I think boys have to do it, mm-hmm. right? In, in this age. And I, and I really think men need m- tribes of men. That's kind of been the problem. Men have always run to women to fix their problems. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and women have always looked to men to fix, to fix their problems <laughs> so that they have something to fix or to work on. I think this is where we're looking at men need other men. Guys need guys. They do need to be with the boys, right? Yeah. It's nothing to be afraid of. I know there's um, in I've been married long enough. Um, and, and I can, I can say, you know, there, I, my wife doesn't, she wants me to go out with the guys. 
it's not a bad thing because she's not threatened by that. And she knows that me being with other guys, we're not, because of the men that we are and who we've, who we've cultivated ourselves to be, yes, there are guys who will go out and do terrible things with the boys, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the, yeah. the type of going out with the boys, right? Uh-huh. But there is that opportunity for men to be with other men and it be a really, really healthy and positive thing. Yeah. But that, that community that you create has to be healthy and positive too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what can you do for boys? Ask them, what do you need? What, what, how mm-hmm. can I help you? How's your day? Like, was it really crappy? Uh, that sounds awful. I mean, it's the same thing you guys need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. So good. <laughs> you, you have to say that because you're my niece. No. But- <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we haven't like had this conversation with our generation ever. Like when were we going to unpack it because it's mm-hmm. in itself it's art it's it's hiding on purpose, you know. Yeah. And I think that's I why think, it's hard I don't know. Sorry, I think that's the great that's the great lie of high school. The great mm-hmm. lie of high school is that you you got, I mean, the thing is, everyone wants to be seen and heard, but no one wants to be seen or heard, right? You all create, put this persona up, this mask, who you think other people need you to be or want you to be. You put this face mask up and you hide behind it, but the whole time, everybody's hiding behind the same mask. So like, take the mask off, right? Yeah. Take, yeah. Just take it off. And the, here's the thing, when, you know, I high school is hard for everyone, everyone, even the people who say they loved it. Um, it. It was hard. It's hard because you're trying to figure out who you are and you're trying to figure out where your place is in your tribe of people. And high school is just a blip on the radar. That's the thing, right? But it feels eternal. It feels so long. Um, the end of my senior year, by the end of the year, I mean, it took us, I, I went to school with these people for 12 years, right? At the end of my senior year, our class collectively started to wake up and we're like, oh, you mean like the, 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 the varsity football team captain and the total band geek nerd can be friends? And like, we, we could do that. You know, I mean, it's, it, once you realize that you can rip down those stereotypes, right? And they're mm-hmm. in archetype and stereotype. Stereotypes are the, it's a cheapening, right? Because it's, uh, it's, those are, they're all acts. They're not embodiments, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the stereotypical jock is gonna, you know, go to the kegger on the weekend and he's gonna be a jerk to, you know, the, the, the nerdy kids and he's gonna trip all of the, you know, the, the, the goofy girl with the glasses and laugh as all of his cronies watching the book spell, spill out, right? I mean, those are, arc, those are um, stereotypical behaviors that people fall into, right? Yeah. We don't wanna do that. Get mm-hmm. rid of the stereotypes. Why do we have them? It, we have, I, well, I can tell you why we have them. We have them because we're trying to figure out how we fit into, into our place in the world. And so mm-hmm. that's what we choose. We're like, oh, well, if I'm a jock, that mean, if I'm this, then I'm that. If mm-hmm. I'm like this, then I am that. We don't need to do the if them statement, right? We can do the both and. It's not either or, it's both and. I am a jock and I love to sing. You know, I am I am a I'm the um, captain of the 
cheerleading squad, and I'm a kind person. I'm not the mean girl, right? Like, I mean, you can embody all of these different things. I know Eden, you and I had, had talked before about this idea that nowadays we are all looking for a box to fit in, but there are so many different things. Like we have, we've dissected ourselves into these little tiny cubes and tried to fit this part of ourself into this area over here and this part of ourself right into this. And we have become separated, right? Our bodies are disjointed. We've, we've, um, and because of that, it's driving us mad because we're trying to carry it all at the same time. Like, how can you be a friend to this person over here and a friend to this person over here when they're totally different social groups? Yeah. And they do that, right? There's no difference, right? You get rid of that other idea. Mm. Hey, I'm, I'm friends with everybody because that's mm. just one of the cool thing to do. It's cool because I want to do it. It's cool because that's who I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my. I'm done. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, again, like I, I'm starting to recognize just from the looks on your faces that nothing has changed in the past 30 <laughs> years since I've been in high school. Uh -huh. Yeah. It just plays out in like a different modern way, but mm -hmm. It, it is calling me old you're calling me old. no 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 <laughs> just kidding i'm talking about the movies like how you, how yeah, you yeah. watch this yeah have you seen have you seen breakfast club no no that's I haven't either but i haven't okay I, I know it's like a okay so breakfast club beautiful example of a movie of these stereo well, these are pretty much stereotypes but they're archetypal too the pretty girl the uh the freak girl the jock the brainiac the loner, right? All five of these guys stuck against the mean principle, right? I mean, it's stereotypical and archetypal. And you watch mm -hmm. it, they, they figure out that they're all the same. Like they're all the same. And then they leave detention on this Saturday afternoon and, you know, Judd Nelson throws his arm up. And <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful moment because that was one thing the, that was one thing the 80s kind of gave us was this really push towards we're all in this together. Um, mm -hmm. Don't tell your parents I said this, but watch the movie. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's so good. It's so good because it really does show how the other, othering people is so damaging. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it, it's meant to keep us weak, I think. It's meant to keep us weak. Because when you come together as a unified force, there's nothing you can't do. It's really cool. So, yeah, watch The Breakfast Club. My recommendation. Watch the Reckless Love. <laughs> and Reckless Love, yeah. You get anything so, from this. I, so, I, disclaimer there is drug use, there is a swearing. Uh, <laughs> so, you know. It's nothing high schoolers have not seen. I, I know, I know, but I gotta, no, as a no, parent, no, no, I gotta no. do yes, the disclaimer yes. on that. That's good. That's good. That's very good. It's rated mm. R. You guys oh. don't know about that stuff, do you? <laughs> like all the naughty words. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyways, um, Uncle Drew, this has been the most freeing conversation I feel like I've had in a long time. It it's been amazing. And thank you so much. Oh my gosh, it's my honor. Are you us. kidding? This is I, I love it. I, I love getting to sit down and share. Like this is something we don't do. Like, I mean, I see you guys all the time, right? But we never sit down and talk about struggles or pains or we just go and have fun.
but there are these deeper things that we can all collectively come together. And I, I think what we're proving here is that age is not a barrier. The same things you're going through are the same things your parents have gone through. Yeah. Right? It just has a different wrapper. Yeah. Um, so the, here's another point of uh, uh, a place where you can then talk to your parents and say, what was it like? You know, ask your dads, what was it like in high school? What group were you in? Did you always want to be in that group? Did you have any doubts? Because as you get older, you start to recognize, you know, if you're be trying to become a conscious person, person, right, becoming more conscious and more intentional, which God bless us, I hope we all are trying to become more conscious people, more loving, more kind, right? That's we that's where we have to go. And I know your 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 parents are both of that. So um, you know, as we move into those, you can begin to unpack and look back in retrospect and say, yeah, I was really afraid. Every day of going to high school, I was afraid that I was going to be found out as a fraud or I, I, I felt incredibly alone. I was surrounded by friends. I was, you know, I was prom king, right? Like I was prom, I was literally prom king <laughs> and they gave me the, the scepter thing and everything. And, <laughs> but there were days that I felt incredibly alone and like I had yeah. friends, I was surrounded by tons of people. Everybody knew my name. I was alone. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change. Yeah. So talk to, so open up to, to friends, to parents, um, not only your parents, but other people's parents too. Like you guys, you can come and talk to me, right? Cause sometimes it's a little awkward. I get it, but it doesn't need to be because all of these experiences are archetypal. We've mm-hmm. all experienced them. Mm-hmm. And all the the more the most we can do is stop othering each other, right? And start seeing each other as an extension of ourselves. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you on Instagram or Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't use Facebook really because mm-hmm. oh, place is toxic. You know <laughs> toxic. That place is especially the past couple of years. It's just gotten awful. Uh huh. So, um, I follow Ruby. So <laughs> always go to Ruby on Instagram and search me up. It's Drew H. Smith, I think. I think, I think that's what it is. Yeah. We just clubhouse. Like the- oh, yeah. is my new thing. Yeah. That's the new, that's the new jam right now. I'm finding it. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, this is the part of social media where it actually gets really good. So Instagram is all about image, right? Clubhouse is all about interaction. Mm-hmm you're sharing and there are there are people who are on there to make connections and there are people on there to who are there to grow their network right so the people who are on there to make connections it's really great because I'm finding my tribe I'm finding the men that I never had in high school or even college to that effect like I'm finding men who are like yeah I'm tired of um always questioning and always doubting and I need a group of men around me who will be honest and open and we can have these hard conversations with this is my tribe. I've been looking for mm. you guys. And we are, and now we're entering into that place. I think yeah. we've removed that visual, right? And now you're talking. So when you and I talk like this, it's not about image. It's about sharing a connection. And I think uh, Clubhouse has offered that to a lot of people too. Um, yeah. So I think, I think it's going to be the next thing um, because of that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. love it. Well, thank you again so much, Uncle Drew. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our conversation with Dr. Drew Smith. 
We hope to see you next week for part two, for an end to the conversation and for a debrief with Sam and I, and of course, a big Sistay moment. If you haven't checked out our website yet, theruby.community, go do that now. There's amazing blog pieces written by such cool people on all sorts of topics, and all of the content is curated just for you. If this episode resonated with you, we'd love it if you could screenshot it and share it with friends or family or post it on your story and tag us. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, we'd love it if you could rate and review us. That helps us to know what we can work on and what we can do better for you. This episode was produced by our CEO, Taylor Kanigowski, edited by Sam Frangioni, and all music is originally created by Ethan McCullough. We hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. Stay Ruby.